It's a Tuesday edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. Welcome and thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. Taylor Charleston will be in with a feature report, and I'll have a look at regional and national agricultural news beginning with regional ag news right after this word from our sponsor. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. California strawberry growers are projected to plant record strawberry acreage in 2023. According to the California Strawberry Commission, farmers are planting more strawberries this year to meet record consumer demand. To satisfy that demand, California growers are expected to plant 41,570 acres of strawberries this year. That would be up from 40,714 acres last year. Of the 2023 total, 31,852 acres were already in the ground. Fall strawberry plantings produce fruit during the winter, spring, and summer months. University researchers from California and other states are joining in a four-year research project that seeks to improve pistachio production as growers face warmer winters and water shortages. California grows 99% of America's pistachio crop and nearly 60% of the world's crop. Researchers at the University of California, Davis, UC Merced, New Mexico State University, and Purdue University are conducting research to aid pistachio pollination and to develop rootstocks that can thrive despite increasing water scarcity. U.S. farms sold more than $11 billion worth of certified organic commodities in 2021, an increase of 13% over the 2019 total of $9.9 billion, according to numbers released by the National Agricultural Statistics Service. And nowhere was that more than evident than in California. With $3.6 billion in certified organic commodity sales, California continued to lead the nation, accounting for 32% of the nation's total. Washington, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Oregon rounded out the top five states for overall organic Organic sales. Organic production encompasses a wide range of commodities. Of the total 2021 sales, $6.1 billion came from crops, $2.9 billion from livestock and poultry products, primarily milk and eggs, and $2.2 billion from livestock and poultry. Between 2019 and 2021, the number of certified organic farms with organic production in the country increased 5% to 17,445, and the number of certified acres decreased 11% to 4.9 million. Certified organic cropland increased 3% to 3.6 million acres, while certified organic pasture land declined 36% to 1.3 million acres. Again, California led the way in both number of farms and acres, with 3,061 certified farms and 813,710 acres. The Golden State accounted for 17% of U.S. certified organic land. Only three other states had more than 1,000 certified organic farms, and those states included Wisconsin, followed by New York and then Pennsylvania. Ten states accounted for roughly three-fourths of 2021 sales. The top sectors and commodities and value of sales of 2021 were livestock and poultry, followed by vegetables, followed by fruits, tree nuts, and berries, and then livestock and poultry. And last on the list is field crops. A growing awareness of the adverse effects of chemical fertilizers, pesticides, antibiotics, and other substances in conventional farming is contributing to the shift towards organic farming. Between 2014 and 2020, California 
California farmland and organic production increased 22 percent from 1,796,080 acres to 2,186,551 acres, according to the California Department of Food and Agriculture. California currently has an estimated 7.35 million acres of irrigated cropland, of which 460,000 acres, or roughly 6 percent, is certified as organic. The recent storms that have triggered deadly floods in California have provided a needed boost to the state snowpack, a major source of drinking water that has shriveled with climate change and drought. In fact, the state's mountain snowpack is off to the best start in the last 40 years, according to the California Department of Water Resources, which conducted a survey of its depth recently. Measurements at Phillips Station, an alpine field ringed by high peaks near Lake Tahoe, found 55.5 inches of snow with a water content of 17.5 inches. That's 177% of the average for the location at this point in the season, according to the Water Agency. More telling, that depth is about 72% of the key April measurement officials use to allocate water resources. But the bumper early winter snowpack doesn't necessarily signal an end to the state's devastating years-long drought. A year ago at this time, the snowpack at Phillips Station was even deeper, reaching 202% of average water content. Then the state suffered its driest January, February, and March on record, leaving just patches of of snow in an otherwise grassy field. They are cautiously optimistic at this point, but they all know what can happen if the pattern turns dry, according to Sean de Guzman, a snow survey manager for the California Department of Water Resources. The Sierra snowpack represents the single largest source of water in California, which typically gets little rain for half of the year. In the past, slowly melting snows in the summer have carried the state through its annual dry season, but the snowpack has shrunk with drought and climate change, forcing farms and cities to slash water usage. The California Dairy Research Foundation and the University of California, Davis, have announced a release of a new analysis of methane reduction progress titled Meeting the Call, How California is Pioneering a Pathway to Significant Dairy Sector Methane Reduction. The paper authored by researchers at UC Davis concludes that efforts are on track to achieve the state's world-leading target for reducing dairy methane emissions by 40% by the year 2030. The report, written by distinguished professors of livestock emissions and agricultural economics, takes a comprehensive look at progress and projections, expanding upon the analysis of progress previously conducted by the California Air Resources Board. By documenting achievements to date, additional reduction efforts already funded, historic and current economic trends, and a projected availability of new solutions, the analysis lays out a workable path towards meeting California's goal. The pathway shows that California dairy farms are on track to achieve the full 40% dairy methane reduction goal and will reach climate neutrality by 2030. Climate neutrality is the point in which no additional warming is added to the atmosphere. Soil and Crop Incorporated is your number one resource for sustainable nutrition. Growers are faced with difficult challenges and Soil and Crop Inc. has the experience, fertilizer, and biological portfolio to dramatically increase yield and performance in your troubled orchards and fields. Contact Soil and Crop Incorporated today for a free consultation on how we can help reverse the challenges you face as a conventional or organic grower so you can increase your bottom line and become a better sustainable farmer. Contact us today at 559-564-1236 or visit our website at www.callnrg.com. Soil and Crop, putting nature to work for you. California Citrus Mutual and the Citrus Research Board is welcoming more than $1 million in new federal funding for critical research programs that support the U.S. and California citrus industries. 
Much of citrus breeding research was already occurring in Florida, and Citrus Mutual President and CEO Casey Creamer, as well as the research board, saw a strong need for a California-based program to tackle more specific local issues. USDA ARS, which is that stands for uh, Agricultural Research uh, Service, uh, they've had what's called an, a National Citrus Breeding Program, and that was housed in in Florida, Fort Pierce, Florida. And I think it's Fort Pierce. I'm gonna make sure I <laughs> might have that might have that wrong. There's a lot of things happening in Fort Pierce, but so they've they've had that National Citrus Program, and and obviously when a lot of people in the United States think about citrus, they at least outside of California, they think about Florida. They don't really understand that, that California is actually the largest producer of, of citrus in the United States. But so a lot of that work was has been ongoing uh, in Florida. Uh, Florida growers invested in that program over there. I think there was some donation of land and facilities that happened that really kickstarted the program over there. And there's been a lot of work going on uh, there in Florida. Now, Florida also has their... Uh, their university system is also doing uh, breeding trials as well. And, and so uh, just it's really complimentary. So it's been ongoing for a number of years and really because Florida invested in it, that they had a, a government program. And, and really, I want to give a lot of credit to the Citrus Research Board because uh, under the leadership of, of Marcy Martin and their board, uh, they called us up and said, Hey, uh, Florida has this program. It's we'd be, it'd be great for us to have it in 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 Florida or in California as well. You think we can make that happen? And so, um, you know, we went to work. We never didn't know that we'd be able to get it in in, in year one, but uh, uh, we went to work. But it's really uh, research is really the Citrus Research Board's primary uh, uh, area of focus. And it's really the partnership between the organizations that uh, really uh, helped make this happen. The breeding happening in Florida was referred to as the National Program for Citrus Breeding Research, but the new addition of the Parlier Station in California truly makes it a national program by the definition. There are some fresh varieties being grown in, in Florida, but uh, Florida is predominantly a, a, a juice market. Um, there was some, you know, collaboration that was happening between our university program in California and some of the breeding work that was happening in Florida. So there's definitely, you know, there was some national aspects to what was happening, but really California was secondary. It is the best way that I would uh, describe it. We would learn things after they were being learned uh, uh, in Florida and then trying to figure out which varieties might work or might have to show some promise in California and then having to undergo that work here. And so I think is going to happen now is you, ARS is going to have scientists on the ground here in California, working in collaboration with the scientists in Florida, working in collaboration with the scientists at their our university system and then the university system in Florida. And I think you just really have a more complete program with uh, better information sharing by having uh, USDA with some responsibility on, with boots on the ground uh, here in California. Only, only can benefit uh, the industry moving forward. The breeding program in California will identify new citrus varieties that are best suited for changing climatic pressures such as drought, consumer taste preferences, and resistance to pests and diseases such as Wang Long Bing. 
generally uh, and kind of the area of the focus for the funding is we need to have find some HLB resistance, right? We need to be able to have a, a tree in the ground that's got some resistance to, to HLB to help us for the long-term cure for this is some resistance uh, to HLB. But we can't just grow a tree for HLB resistance that's not what the market needs. And so you have to have varieties that meet consumer taste preferences, that meet consumer demands, uh, that grows in a way that you know growers can farm it productively. And so there are pest and disease, but other pest and disease potential issues, um, labor and harvesting. And so there are a number of elements that there's a, a committee of growers that work with our, our researchers to, you know, once something shows promise in a lab, in a nursery trial, and it gets put into the ground, and then it gets put into some commercial uh, commercial growth. So there's a whole process there. It's just really important to have uh, uh, a lot of eyes and a lot of needs that are they're being constantly evaluated and reevaluated. Additionally, the 2023 federal budget includes continued funding for the Citrus Health Response Program, or CHIRP, which supplements industry and state funding for on-the-ground efforts aimed at preventing the spread of the HLB and continued funding for the HLB MAC Group, or Multi-Agency Coordination Group, which funds research programs aimed at identifying short-term solutions to HLB. $25 million for the length of the farm bill each each year. And that is for, uh, it's shared with all the research or the citrus growing states, but uh, that is for trying to find a long-term cure uh, for, for HLB. So, but that's farm bill, that's separate. You didn't mention that. But connected to that is the HLB MAC. So what that eight and a half million HLB multi, MAC stands for multi-agency coordinator. So there's funding at NIFA, there's funding and, and interactions at ARS, there's uh, APHIS, which is another federal agency uh, uh, under USDA, and then there's the industry. So there's money there to help coordinate all of those efforts to tackle HLB and Asian citrus psyllid. And part of that money, or vast majority of that money, will go to what I would call shovel-ready projects. So you've got the farm bill money, which is for long-term, but then after you get it out of a lab, you need to try to experiment with it a little bit more before it gets into full commercial uh, acceptance or, uh, or production. And so kind of that MAC is kind of that uh, middle middle ground to seeing if what works in a lab will work uh, a step closer to implementing in a, in a grower's fields in a full production landscape. So that's what that, that MAC money is, is for generally. Then you've got the CHIRP, which is the Citrus Health Response Program. That's basically out of two agencies, APHIS, what I mentioned earlier, Animal Plant Health Inspection Service under USDA. And then uh, in California, so the 61 roughly million dollars uh, nationally, APHIS takes off uh, for their operations and, and then money gets diverted uh, to the different states that have citrus. And then California receives money from that. It's roughly about 12 to $13 million uh, a year. And that directly goes to our citrus uh, pest and disease prevention program, which is the on the ground eradication of uh, infected trees. A lot of it's in, you know, it's in residential areas. 
the education programs and the the industry getting together, deciding rules and regulations of moving citrus and, and some of that, the spray activities and coordinating spray activities. And so that's really what that citrus health response uh, program is. And that money, uh, that 12 to $13 million directly offsets what every single grower in the state would mandatorily have to pay into that, that program. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Chalstrom. This segment was sponsored by Polymer Ag, makers of Anti-Stress 550, the climate stress solution. Find out more at polymerag.com. The first of seven satellites for agriculture have launched into space this week by SpaceX. Built by Dragonfly Aerospace, the satellite is part of the Transporter 6 mission for customer EOS data analytics. The remaining six satellites of the Constellation will be deployed over the next three years. The EOS data analytics project is the world's first agriculture-focused satellite constellation, providing the industry with high-quality data to support efficient and sustainable practices. Images obtained from Dragonfly's EOS Sat-1 will deliver information for harvest monitoring, application mapping, seasonal planning, and assessments that analyze information such as soil moisture, yield prediction, and biomass levels. The data will support growers with reducing carbon dioxide emissions and will help to develop sustainable agriculture methods. And now a look at producer sediment when it comes to the ag industry with results from the latest Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Thanks for joining us for the Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer December 2022 survey results. I'm Jim Mintert, Director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. I'm going to share with you the highlights of the December 2022 survey. The Ag Economy Barometer Index rose 24 points this month to reading of 126, and the index was driven primarily by an improvement in the current conditioned index, which was up 37 points compared to last month although that did leave that index 7% lower than December 2021. The future expectation index was up 18 points versus last month, and that left that index 7% higher than it was in December 2021. The Farm Financial Performance Index rose 18 points this month to a reading of 109. That's 4% lower than it was this time last year. And when we asked producers to look ahead to 2023, they do expect to see weaker financial performance in 2023. Once again, we asked producers what their biggest concerns are for their farming operation in the upcoming year. And the biggest concern among producers continues to be higher input costs. That was chosen by 45% of the respondents in this month's survey. Number two on the list was rising interest rates, and that was chosen by 22% of the respondents in this month's survey. The Farm Capital Investment Index rose this month to a reading of 40, up from 31 last month. That still leaves that index about nine points below where it was this time last year. The short-term farmland value expectation index declined five points this month to a reading of 124 down from 129. And the long-term farmland value index also declined four points this month compared to a month earlier. And the long-term index is now down about 8% compared to a year earlier. There does appear to be a shift in the sentiment taking place among producers when you look at the percentage of producers who tell us that they expect to see farmland values actually decline in the upcoming year. This month, 15% of the producers in the survey said they expect to see lower farmland values a year from now. That's up from just 6% who felt that way last year this time. December was the fourth time that we asked producers what they expect to see happen with respect to farmland cash runner rates in 2023 compared to 2022. And again, just over 40% of the producers in the survey say they expect to see higher cash runner rates in 2023 compared to what they paid 
in 2022. That wraps up the results for this month's survey. The full report is available on the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer website, which is purdue.edu slash agbarometer. And you can also get more details on our podcast, the Purdue Commercial Agcast, which is available on major podcast providers and at our website. And, of course, the Purdue Top Farmer Conference is coming up on January 6th. You can attend that conference in person or remote by way of Zoom. Details are available at purdue.edu slash commercialag. On behalf of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Mintert. Thanks for watching. For the second time in three years, a federal court has dismissed a Green Plains Incorporated ethanol market lawsuit against Archer Daniels Midland, this time ruling Green Plains would not be allowed to refile the claims. In October of 2021, Omaha-based Green Plains filed a lawsuit in a U.S. district court in a district in Nebraska alleging ADM committed torturous interference with a Green Plains ethanol contract when ADM conducted an alleged scheme to illegally depress the ethanol cash market beginning in 2017. That case was transferred to the U.S. district court for the District of Central Illinois, where two other antitrust cases are pending against ADM. The Illinois court ruled last week that Green Plains did not state a claim and failed to identify specific contracts with which ADM allegedly interfered. Because the court dismissed the case with prejudice, it means that Green Plains could not refile the claims with the court. The Environmental Protection Agency's timing in issuing a final Waters of the U.S. rule last week ahead of a Supreme Court decision will only cause more disruption and uncertainty for producers, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation. That from AFBF's Courtney Briggs on a new WOTUS rule the Farm Bureau says is still unworkable. That was one of the reasons why we asked the agencies to wait until the Supreme Court issued a decision in Sackett um, because we're introducing a new and frankly confusing rule to an already very convoluted permitting process. Briggs says the Biden rule that replaces a Trump navigable waters protection rule will take effect 60 days after being published in a federal register. She agrees with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association that the rule does not clearly exempt from federal permitting irrigation ditches, stock ponds, streams, and other farm features, forcing costs on producers to figure out if they need permits. This rule hinges on the use of the significant nexus test which allows the agencies to do that case-by-case determination, but it also allows them to aggregate waters together. So it really does expand their reach, which is, you know, very concerning, and it's the question before the high court in Sackett. Briggs says what is most telling is that the Supreme Court decided to hear the case, which is unusual when there's a pending federal rulemaking. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be Hero, Superior Bees, Superior Pollination. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. 
Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening.